Once again, I want to wish everyone a good afternoon. Sounds kind of weird saying that as we usually have our service in the morning. Uh, even, you know, 11 a.m., that's still morning time, and so usually say good morning, but we're here at a little after 2 this time around. But I'm so thankful and grateful to see a good crowd out here this afternoon, even though our schedule's a little wonky because of the time change and the scheduled power outage. You've all made it your, your goal and your purpose and your desire to be out here in the house of the Lord this morning to fellowship with your brothers and sisters. And for that, I am so grateful and so thankful for. Now, last week, we talked about defiant courage. And sometimes you got to be like a salmon and swim against the swim upstream and you have to go against the grain and you kind of have to be defiant sometimes in order to be courageous because the world and the enemy will pressure you to try to conform you into its mold and you just have to say no because I know what God's word says. I may look like a jerk to somebody else. I may look rebellious to somebody else, but I am going to obey God's word no matter what. So it's a defiant type of courage. And maybe sometimes that's a little scary. And today we want to talk about another aspect of courage that we see from Daniel and from Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and that is contagious courage. Contagious courage. You know, now, you know, we're, we're social distancing, we're wearing masks, we're, we're using hand sanitizer like never before because we're afraid of how contagious COVID possibly is. But this is something that you want to catch. You want to catch courage. You want courage to be courageous, and you want to be infected with it. Now, because of social media, you hear, oh, that video went viral. What that means is that video has been seen by millions of people. It went viral. It was seen by many, many people in a very short period of time, and that's what they call going viral. And we know that a virus is contagious, and we want our courage that we have in the Lord to be contagious. Now, one thing this brought to mind is my childhood. And it's, it's interesting how certain things in childhood will go from one generation to the next. You know, little kids are, are pretty much the same no matter what generation or what age you find them in. Now, there were two things as a kid that you did not want to be. You didn't want to be it, right? Out in the schoolyard, you didn't want to be it. And you didn't want to catch cooties. Because cooties were contagious, right? Those are two things as a, as, as a child you didn't want. You didn't want to be it, and you didn't want to catch cooties. But thank God we have, we have an inoculation for cooties. Circle, circle, dot, dot, now you've had your cootie shot. How many remember that? Some are, some are saying no, some are saying yes. <laughs> but um, so uh, also, it also reminded me of... Um, when I was a child and the pastor would end the service with, with an altar call. One of those good old-fashioned altar calls where they play just as I am for like 15, 16 verses, right? You know, you're always just, the pastor's just waiting for that one more person, just that he feels in his spirit that one person needs to come out. But you know, it reminds me of contagious courage because usually it just does take one person that steps out of their pew, steps into the aisle, and makes their way to the front to the altar. When other people who desire to go to the altar, they just don't want to be the first one. They're embarrassed. They're a little scared. You know, they're kind of white knuckling the backs of the pews. You know what I mean? They're holding on to the pew for dear life, afraid that they're, if they let go, they're going to float up or something or, or by compulsion, they'll actually make it out into the aisle. 
But it just takes one person to step out in the aisle. And usually when that first person makes a step, you see about five or six other people come out of their pews and join that one individual at the altar. It takes one person to have courage. Just one. Just like, you know, we, we all grew up with Smokey the Bear. You know, only you can prevent forest fires. Only you. But it only takes a spark to set a whole fire, a whole forest ablaze. That's all it takes. Just a tiny little spark. Something very seemingly insignificant, but has potential for great, great power and great destruction. And that's the same thing with courage. It may seem little, and it may seem small, but it just takes one person to stand up. One person to have courage in order for courage to be contagious. So we're going to see that here uh, in our sermon today. So in Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 3, and we've read this virtually every, ever since we've started the Daniel series, but it's interesting that you could read the same verse, and like a diamond is cut from different angles, and you can get a different point of beauty each time you turn the diamond and cut it a certain way. It's the same with Scripture. You can read the same scripture four or five different times and get something different out of it each time. So it says in Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 3, The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, uh, perceptive, and capable serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. And I'm just going to go ahead and read verse 6. Among them from the Judahites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So all of these Judeans that were taken off into captivity, into Babylonian captivity, they were to be indoctrinated with the, with the Babylonian language and literature and religion for three years, a three-year university, which I believe probably the majority of Judahites assimilated and conformed and, and became Babylonian in ever, ever since of the word, except for Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They determined that no matter what they were taught, what they were told, what they had to endure, what they had to go through, that their minds weren't going to be changed because their mind was all, already made up. And that's why it's so important to make up your, your mind and make up your heart and your mind. Because a lot of people say, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. No, that just doesn't fly. Because when you, when you don't have a decision, a rooted, grounded, cemented decision a foundational decision set in your heart and mind when you come to that bridge that you have to cross you they very may well compromise because it's so easy to compromise when your mind isn't made up because then you start weighing out the pros and cons and perhaps the temptation for many of these judahites including daniel and his friends was they never ate so richly and sumptuously as this this food was literally fit for a king and though there was a lot to choose from, there was a lot on there that they could not eat because of the, uh, the, the uh, Hebraic dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11. They couldn't eat ham and they couldn't eat rabbit and, 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 and uh, shellfish and things of this nature. And these are the very things that possibly the king was uh, setting before them to eat. 
They couldn't drink the wine because the wine has to go through a particular koshering process for it to be acceptable to be drunk by a Hebrew or by a Jew. The temptation was always that this was the fast track to an easy life, favor, reputation, and power. And every time I think about that, I think of the movie The Matrix. Many of you probably hadn't seen it, but basically, in a nutshell, what The Matrix is, it's a false reality. It's a false computer-generated world that people are living in their minds. And they think it's real. And then some people wake up to this, this falsehood, this false reality. And once they realize they're in a computer simulation, they wake up in the real world, which isn't so pretty and which isn't so nice. But at least they're free. At least they know what reality is. And one of the characters, his name was Cypher. And many people look at Cypher and say he was just like Judas. Because he compromised and he, he basically gave up the hero and he sacrificed the hero and he said, plug me back into the matrix. I know this world isn't real. I know it's fake, but hey, at least I could be rich. And I know this steak that I'm eating right now doesn't really exist, but I, I, you know, I seem to be able to smell it and taste it and it's good. I'm good with the fake life. So maybe a lot of these Judahites felt that way, that this was the fast track to a, to a life of ease favor, reputation, and power. But, it, but that will only satisfy you for so long because it is appointed for man once to die and after this, the judgment. You may be living the easy life here, but once you meet, go into the judgment, how's that going to work out for you? And also, we know that the word of God says, but what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Sometimes people think that a life of ease and, and a life of power and reputation and fame is the way to go, that they're, that they're going to be happy. But you know what? The most miserable people you'll ever meet is famous people, rich people, because the rich people are never rich enough. I forget who was interviewed, but they said, how much more money, sir, are you to make before you're satisfied, before you're truly happy? And he said, just one more dollar, just one more dollar. And then I think of, of comedians. They are the ones who put on the biggest front. They look happy. They look jovial. They're always making people laugh. They seem to be the life of the party, but they are the most hurt and depressed people that you'll ever want to meet. Jonathan Winters uh, testified to this fact. He had a very harsh upbringing, and he was very poor. And even as an adult and a famous funny man, uh, he was very insecure with himself. And then we think of the likes of Robin Williams. He had fame. He had fortune. He made umpteen hundred movies. And how did he end his life? He choked himself out with a belt. So, you know, also maybe another temptation was that this was the chance to be kind of like a Rockefeller or a Hollywood A-lister. To be recognized for the first time, to, be, to come from the tribe of Judah, but to be a nobody and to rise to the cream of the crop. Maybe that was the temptation. They had all the best and all access pass to food, clothing, accommodations, entertainment, and any hedonistic pleasure or desire that they may have. So these were the temptations. But no matter, you know, not everything that glitters is gold, as they say. So no matter how great things looked... Daniel and his three friends says, we know this is all temporary. We know that this is all fake. We know this isn't going to get us to the end of our life, and it will not carry us into the world to come. And again, Mark 8, 36 and Matthew 16, 26 says, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? 
Daniel knew the possible consequences for, for rebellion, for rebelling against Babylon, but he had courage. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts the Lord will be protected." Let me read that again. The fear of man or mankind, man's power, man's governance, man's authority. The fear of man is a snare because when you're afraid, you do things that you normally wouldn't do out of fear. You compromise, you give in, you you roll over and show your belly. The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts the Lord will be protected. So in Daniel 1.8 It says, Daniel determined, in other words, he already had his mind made up. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Now, it kind of makes you wonder the way the scriptures is written. Was Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, were they tempted to give in? Were they tempted to take the easy route, the easy road? Was their minds made up? We don't know. We can't really say. All we know for sure is that Daniel's mind was made up. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So to even question the eunuch about special accommodations regarding food could be taken could be taken as questioning the king's authority in himself because the eunuch had the power and the authority of the king in that particular situation and realm so to question the eunuch was to question the king so daniel could have been put to death for even suggesting something different for even suggesting an alternative for asking for special accommodations but we see what it says in verse 9 God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Because of verse 8, because Daniel determined that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food and with the king's drink, because of verse 8, Daniel is blessed in verse 9. He's blessed because it says God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Why was Daniel blessed? Because he had courage. He had courage. Not only did he have courage, but his courage was contagious. And we'll see that here in a minute. So we see that Daniel's obedience to God elicits divine favor. In verse 11 through 16, it says, So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servant for ten days. Let, uh, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Why, wh- why vegetables and why water? Because it doesn't have to go through a koshering process. You don't slaughter a piece of celery. You don't slaughter an onion. Well, maybe some people do the way they cook. But um, <laughs> there were special ways that you had to dispatch an animal. Even if the king had a cow or a goat or a sheep, which was kosher, which was a, a clean animal, Daniel still couldn't eat it because it was not properly slaughtered in God's prescribed way. The the, the kosher way is slitting jugular to jugular, so a rush of blood comes and the animal passes out. And 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 the knife is so sharp, the animal doesn't even feel the knife blade. It's a very humane way to dispatch an animal. The way other nations do it, 
And the way people still do it today in the processing plants is they'll, they'll club the, the cow or the sheep or the goat over the head. Or back in Daniel's time, they would strangle, which was a slow, painful death. They would strangle the animal. So even if it was a clean animal that was presented to Daniel and his friends, they still couldn't eat it because it wasn't prepared properly. So there's no special preparation for vegetables. And so that's why they decided only vegetables. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. Uh, so now a lot of people may question a vegetarian type diet because it's hard to get protein. But if you eat beans and nuts and certain things like that, you can get the proper amount of protein. And I'm sure Daniel knew this. He knew how to keep himself healthy on a vegetarian type of diet. So he wasn't worried about, you know, when the 10 days were up. He knew that he and his friends would look stronger and better and more fit than the rest of his contemporaries. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. And the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So does this mean that Daniel and, and, and his friends were vegetarians for the rest of their life? Quite possibly, unless they were able to reach such a, a status of power and nobility within the kingdom, they can hire people to and instruct them to properly prepare and slaughter clean animals. But we don't know because the word doesn't say. But even so, Daniel wasn't going to go against God's word just out of convenience. So Daniel stood alone. And God blessed Daniel because he was courageous. And his courage was contagious. And even though Daniel stood alone, he took a stand. And he took a stand on seemingly a trivial issue, but a very important issue to him because he believed God's word and obeyed God's word. It was over an issue of food. But because he took this courageous stand, his friends caught the, uh, the, the courage bug, if you will. So Daniel's stand and Daniel's courage gave Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael courage that they would need in the, in the future, as we will read here in a few minutes. But in Philippians 1, 12 through 14, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Okay, we'll just go ahead and stop right there. What was the Apostle Paul saying? He's like, look, I'm in prison because of the gospel. But even though I'm in prison and I'm in chains... And sometimes I'm whipped and sometimes I'm beat, sometimes whatever. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm still preaching the gospel. And because I preach the gospel, the whole imperial guard and the whole empire knows about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because of my actions incarceration, my actions in the dungeons, my action in prison, my actions because I'm in chains has given other Christians, other believers, the courage 
to speak out and to be bold as I am. So just think about this, because most of Paul's letters were written from a, from a prison cell or house arrest. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to, to me has actually advanced the gospel. You would think it's pretty bad news if you get thrown in jail because you're a Christian. And that may seem like bad news, but you know what? Prisons need chaplains, don't they? <laughs> so if you're a believer and God allows you to go to prison for him, you, have, you literally have a captive audience. You know? So this is what the Apostle Paul was saying. He, he's like, um, I want you to know what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. I didn't steal. I didn't cheat. I didn't murder. I didn't break Roman law. I'm here because of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's, that's the only thing I'm guilty of. And he said, most of the brothers, this is, this is the, what I want to hone in on. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word. Fearlessly. It's, it's as if the believers who were on the outside saw Paul's imprisonment and they're like, man, if he can be a believer behind bars, if he can be a believer in chains, if he could be bold and speak the truth and speak the gospel, no matter how unpopular it is, then what's my excuse here free on the outside? I'm going to be just as bold as the apostle Paul is. Most of the brothers gained confidence. We could say courage in the Lord from my imprisonment. And dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. That's the key word, fearlessly. Because Daniel stood, the three Hebrews would later take courage because they too would have to stand, and they would have to stand alone. In Daniel chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, it says, A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, every kind of music, you are to all face down and worship the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately, no ands, ifs, or buts, immediately be thrown into the furnace blazing with fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some of the Chaldeans took the occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You, as king, have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon. So these Jews that are not bowing down and worshiping the statue, it's making Nebuchadnezzar look bad because Nebuchadnezzar put them in charge in a high authoritative position. 
So Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, really, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about bowing down to a statue? The statue's not alive. I mean, it's just a gold statue. It can't hear, smell, eat. It, it, it can't do anything against you. It doesn't even know if you're bowing down or not. So what's the big deal? I mean, it just matters that Jesus is in my heart, right? I mean, God knows that I'm against this idol and against this statue, but, but God knows my life is at risk, so I'll just bow down because God knows my heart. Is that okay? Where were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael getting their, their resolve, their determination, their courage? Where was the line drawn in the sand for them? They knew that the Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You are not to, bow you are not to make or bow down to any graven image. This was black and white. There was no wiggle room. There's no compromise. There's no fudging. It doesn't matter that you, you didn't mean it in your heart to bow down on the outside. You just ruined your witness. People say, well, look at these Jews. I, I thought they worshipped Yahweh, the God of Israel. And look, they're, they're bowing down to this gold Babylonian statue. Well, I guess they converted. I guess they changed their, their mind. I guess they don't worship their God anymore. What you do on the outside matters just as much as how you feel and think on the inside. And you know what? There may be coming a time, you know, where, where people will say, now, now look, guys, I know that you love Jesus, and, and, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's fine. We're not asking you to believe any differently. Just don't bring it outside your house. You guys can just worship in your homes. You guys could just keep quiet about it and keep amongst yourselves, but we don't want to hear it in the public forum. It's, it'll be tempting to say, okay, really sheepishly. But if we, if we do that, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. Am I right? We are to go out and preach the gospel, whether people like it or not, whether they want to hear it or not. We are obligated, commanded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who sacrificed his own life for us, to go and spread the truth of the good news of the gospel. If it's good news, why do you want to keep it to yourself? It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's like, you know, if, if there's a two-for-one sale at John Cattu or at Walmart or buy one, get one free, you tell your friends about it because, hey, it's a good deal. Buy one, get one free. It's good news. Well, how much better is the news of eternal life? How much better is the news that your sins could be remitted and forgiven, that you could be free from your addictions, hurts, habits, and hang-ups? What better news is there than that? And yet we're sitting on it like it's something that we should be ashamed of. We're sitting on it like, oh, well, I shouldn't say anything. I don't want to get people mad or offended or rock the boat. So we see Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael in this really sticky predicament here. Their resolve and their courage was being tested. Now, the law was that if nobody bows down, whoever doesn't bow down is immediately thrown into the fire. The king you know, he, he gave in a little bit. He, he wasn't as hard fast on that rule because he thought the world of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, he thought, well, maybe, maybe they just didn't get the memo. Maybe they're confused. 
Maybe they don't understand. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to give them a second chance. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to do that. Because the law said immediately thrown in to the fiery furnace. But we see in verse 13, Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar asked them. He didn't have to ask him anything. He was the king. He made the law. By his own law, they should have been thrown into the furnace immediately. No questions asked. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue that I have made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? They got a second chance from Nebuchadnezzar. If they weren't afraid at first, they should have been afraid right at that moment. We've been caught. We've been caught red-handed. You know, what do we do, guys? They didn't even have to ask each other what they were going to do. They've already resolved what they were going to do. Their mind was made up beforehand. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. They didn't miss a beat. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But, I love this verse, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, O king, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That took backbone. That took guts. To say to a king, to say somebody who literally has life in, your, your life in their hands, it, it may have come off, it may have seemed very disrespectful, it may have seemed very uh, hubristic, but they weren't afraid of the king. They weren't afraid of his authority or power. They weren't afraid of his false gods. Said, look, we're just going to shoot straight with you, king. We're not going to do it. We don't even have to discuss this. You don't even have to give us a second chance. There's no debating this. There's no wiggle room. The line is drawn in the sand. We won't bow down to your God. We know that our God is more powerful than your God. Your God's a false God. Our God is a real God. And we know he has the power if he so chooses to rescue us. We believe fully that he can do that. We believe that, that he has the power over you, O king. You can't do anything he doesn't permit you to do. But we'll just let you know this as well. Even if he doesn't rescue us, we're still not going to bow. Daniel's courage that he displayed in chapter 1 must have been very contagious because Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael caught the courageous bug. What Daniel did in chapter 1 apparently gave the three Hebrews the courage to stand when, when they had to, when called upon in regards to this mountain of gold. So even as the three Hebrews saw the executioners die, they still wouldn't bend, wince, or flinch because they tried to be thrown in, but the people that were throwing them in died before they could even be thrown in. So in verse 19, we pick it back up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. 
He was insulted. How dare these, these, these foreigners, these Hebrews, come against me and speak against me and disrespect me and my, my laws and my commandments and my God? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, that is turbans, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. They didn't expect to make it. They thought that they were crispy critters. For all intents and purposes, they should have died before they even hit the floor of the furnace. Why? Because the guards that were carrying them and were going to throw them in died first. They couldn't take the heat and stand the heat. So even as the three Hebrews saw the executioners die, they did not wince or flinch. They didn't expect to make it, but they had the courage, and their courage opened the way to show the miraculous and the greatness of God. We continue on, and it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to the advisors, Whoa, 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 wait a second. Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called. Now, when there's a roaring fire, you just can't talk in a normal voice, right? Because the roar of the flames will overpower your own voice. So imagine how loud the king had to shout in order for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to hear him. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out! Stop! Did you catch what Nebuchadnezzar just said? He, he said, servants of the Most High God. He didn't say servants of my God, servants of the Babylonian God, servants of Molech, servants of Baal, servants of Dagon. He said, servants of the Most High God, come out. In that statement, Nebuchadnezzar just admitted that his gods were nothing compared to Yahweh. He just admitted right there that his gods were lower than the God of the children of Israel. That alone is, is a miraculous revelation and a miraculous statement coming from a pagan king. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on their bodies. Not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of smoke or fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
wow, King Nebuchadnezzar is really having a change of heart here. He was all gung-ho for this idol, this statue, whoever it was that he erected and wanted everybody to worship. He himself was even worshiping it. And yet him to say, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and he rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command. Right there, Nebuchadnezzar is admitting and recognizing the courage of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They violated the king's command. And the implication here is they violated knowing full well what would happen to them, knowing they would die, knowing they would be cast into the fiery furnace. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree. Wow, things are really getting serious here. Do you you catch what's happened here? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were as good as dead, and they were willing to risk their lives in order to serve and obey and continue faithfulness and loyalty to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And because of their courage, God rewarded their obedience. God rewarded their resolve. God rewarded their courage by rescuing them. And I don't think that was just the end goal of God. Well, I'm just going to show my power and I'm going to rescue them. Won't that be a kick in the pants? Won't that be a spectacle for everyone to see? No, God cared for Nebuchadnezzar. God cared for these pagan Babylonians. He's, he, basically, God was saying, I'm not only going to rescue them, but in rescuing them, it's going to be a loud and clear witness to these pagan peoples that there is only one God, only one true God, and I am he. So it says, therefore, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. Wow. Did did Nebuchadnezzar just get saved? Did Nebuchadnezzar just convert to Judaism? Did Nebuchadnezzar just, just denounce all of his pagan gods and declare Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God? I don't know, but it sure does sound like it. That's crazy. This is crazy. God rescuing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego led to a great miraculous witnessing opportunity, and the heart of Nebuchadnezzar was changed. He said, look, anybody who says anything against against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, this is pretty serious, will be torn limb from limb. And his house be made a garbage dump. For there is no other God. There is no other God. He's basically saying the gods that I worship, the gods that I grew up with, the gods that, that, I've, that you know, I am proclaiming, they're nothing. For there is no other God. Not my gods, not the Canaanite gods, not the Philistine gods, not the Assyrian gods, not even my Babylonian gods. There are no gods who is able to deliver like this. Then the king re- whoa. It's getting even more serious. First of all, they get thrown in the fiery furnace. They survive. They come out. Nebuchadnezzar's heart has changed. Then he protects uh, uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael further by saying that you can worship your God freely, and anybody who says anything against it, they're going to be torn limb from limb, and their house is a garbage dump. But then he goes on. 
and, and it's further, it could have just ended there. But it goes on further. It says, then the king rewarded. When did you ever disobey or break the law and get rewarded for it? When did you ever buck the system or go against authority and get rewarded for it? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael's courage caused the king to rethink his theology. And in rethinking his theology, their courage also led to their promotion. Did you catch that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got promoted. They could have gotten demoted. Well, throw them in the fiery furnace didn't work. Let's see if they survived the guillotine. Let's see if they survived getting hung by a noose. No! The fiery furnace was enough, and it says, well, whoa, no God could ever do this. Their God must be really something. We're going to protect them because we don't want their, their God's retribution upon us. But not only that, this is so fantastic. I'm going to reward them and promote them. In They're going to have greater authority, greater prestige, greater power in Babylon. This is just unheard of. So in Daniel 3.30... Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They got promoted. Their, their courage was contagious. Their courage made a difference. Because of their courage and their obedience, they got rewarded and promoted, which is unheard of. Now, there is a Jewish tradition. You know when the Red Sea parted? This isn't in the Bible, but this is in the, the chronicles of the rabbis and sages and in, in the Jewish tradition. The Red Sea didn't part in an instant. God said, I'm going to part the Red Sea. And just as he was about to part the Red Sea, somebody made the first step. It was Nachshon. Nachshon was a leader in the tribe of Judah. Well, if God said he's going to part the Red Sea, I believe it. He started heading out into the water before it even parted. Nachshon got up to his ankles. The water didn't part. He got up to his knees. And he kept trudging along. The water didn't part. It got up to his hips, and he's wading in deeper and deeper, and, 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 and the water still didn't part. It goes up to his chest. He's like, I'm still believing. You said it, God. It's going to happen. He gets up to his neck, and finally, the waters part. Because according to tradition, according, uh, because of Nachshon's courage, his courage was contagious, and when he took the first step in the water, even though the waters didn't part, other Israelites joined him. Well, if he believes, and he's a tribal leader, then he must know something I don't. I'm going to believe too. Do you see how, how contagious your courage can be? Do you understand how powerful you are as an individual? Oh, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm retired. I'm on a fixed income. I don't have a prestigious job. I don't have any authoritative position in Plaster Rock. It doesn't matter. God made you who you are. You are who you are because God made you that way. You have what you have because God deemed it so. And he caused you to be born in this day and age and in this time. And if these are the end days, think about it, folks. God saves the best for last, which means you're the cream of the crop. And all it takes is your courage, your courage to stand up and say, look, I don't care what you say about abortion. I don't care what you say about gay marriage. I don't care what you say about the New Age movement. I don't care what you say about uh, whatever, witchcraft. 
this is what the Bible says, this is what I believe. You might get a tongue lashing, you might get looked at funny, you might get ostracized, but when you have the courage to stand up and to speak your mind and to say what God says, say what his word says, you are going to give others courage because you never know who's listening. One thing that shocked me when I graduated high school, you know how at the end of the year you get the yearbook and everybody signs the yearbook? Well, I even had some of people that made fun of me, some people that, that ridiculed me, some people that even tried to beat me up, say, hey, man, can I sign your yearbook? Sure, why not? And what they wrote blew me away. They said, look, man, you took a lot of heat during your high school career. I just want to let you know that I, uh, you know, uh, I admire the courage that you had to stand up for your beliefs. It would have been easy for you to give in, to smoke a joint, to do drugs, to smoke, to drink, to have premarital sex, whatever. We ridiculed you. We made fun of you. We even tried to beat you up a couple times, but you wouldn't budge. You wouldn't stand down. You have more courage than I. That touched my heart more than anything anybody could have ever written in my yearbook. Which showed me and taught me a lesson that you never know who's paying attention. You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. I even had other Christians come up to me and say, man, I wish I had the courage you did. I'm a Christian, but I never told anybody. I'm a Christian, and, and I always went along with the crowd. I didn't have the guts or the backbone that you did. Thank you for being that example. So just think of the impact you can have in other people's lives just by being courageous, standing up for what you believe, because your courage is contagious. In Joshua 1, 6 and 9, twice God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And in Joshua 24, 15, he says, do not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord God is with you wherever you may go. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. What does the Bible say about God? God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the very same God that was in the lion's den with Daniel, the very same God that was in the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, is the exact same miracle, powerful God that is living in your hearts if you're saved. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? The same God we read about in Daniel 1 and Daniel chapter 3 is the same God that lives inside us. And if he could do those miraculous things for Daniel and for Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, think of what he can do for you. There's a prophecy in Joel, and it's reiterated in, 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 um, in Acts, that in the last days, in the latter times, that God is going to pour out his spirit upon us once again. So it tells me that the same type of miracles that happened back in the Old Testament days and the New Testament days could possibly happen today. We just got to be courageous enough to step out and take that risk and take that chance. What's the worst that can happen, folks? We die? Wouldn't that be a reward? Wouldn't that be? Yeah, that would be a good thing. 
Paul said, you know what, fellas? I, I'm so homesick. I want to go home. I, I just want to go home so bad. But I know it's more beneficial that I stick around for your sake. And I'm going to stick around as long as God has me. And I'm not going to leave one second before. That's the same attitude we should have as well. The very same attitude we should have as well. So I want to challenge you to be courageous. Speak your mind. Stand up for what you believe. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to shove it down people's throats. We can do it in a tactful and loving way, but at the same time, stand your ground. Don't budge. If God is for us, who can be against us? I know some of the message that I've been preaching has been pretty scary, pretty doom and gloom, but I'm hoping this message kind of gave you a oomph, that little extra to say, yeah, I can do this. Because it's, it doesn't really matter what you say or do in here. It matters what you say and do the rest of the week when you're outside and not here among us. It's easy to be a Christian sitting in a pew. It's harder to be a Christian out in the world when you're challenged and pushed and the whole society is against your ways and against your way of thinking and doing things. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Courage. Courage. We thank you for the courage that only you can give. I've done things in my life that if it was in my flesh, I would have never done them. I'm too chicken. But because you dwell within me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because you, Lord Jesus, dwell in my heart. You have given me the courage in situations where in all intents and purposes and in my flesh, I should have chickened out and backed down. And I give you all the praise and the honor and the glory and the credit for that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just give my congregation, this congregation, the courage to stand up in this dark age, in this dark time where, where, where good is called evil and evil is called good. In this society and in this generation where people's minds are on hedonism and wickedness all the time, when everything that is said and done is totally against your word, Give these people the strength and the courage to stand up against it and to say, no, I don't agree with your philosophy. I don't agree with your opinion. And it's okay if we agree to disagree, but I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to believe his word. His word is truth, whether you like it or not. Give these people the strength and the courage to stand up for what they truly believe in. Because in doing so, Lord, you're going to reward their courage and you're going to reward their obedience with a great witnessing opportunity that would have never come otherwise. Help them to remember and know that you are still a God of miracles. You are still a God that shows up as fourth man in the furnace. You are still the God that shuts the mouths of the lions. Give us the strength and courage to be and do all that you want us and have us to be. For we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.